This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We are live on the World Wide Web. I'm Dave Rubin, and we've got another Friday Roundtable extravaganza for you. Joining me today is a trial lawyer and all-star political gambler, Robert Barnes, as well as his co-host of Viva Barnes Law, a sort of part-time Canadian, now Floridian, although I think he's in Canada right now, Viva Fry. Guys, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Good morning. Glad to be here. Viva, I'm going to start with you uh, on the personal note quickly. Uh, You are known as a Canadian with big hair. You've moved to Florida. You are temporarily back in Canada. Are you okay? Do you need me to get DeSantis to send in the troops and get you back here? Every time I send a hypercritical tweet of Justin Trudeau, I half expect someone to knock on the front door and say, uh, you might want to think about deleting that. Uh, I step back into the asylum, and I I almost mean that literally. It's a different culture. It's, It's as though... People in Canada still don't know how the rest of the world are living, and they don't pay attention to the politics, they don't pay attention to the legislated censorship, and they just don't seem to care. And it's a very, it's a constant struggle, how to make them care, how to sensitize them to it. It doesn't happen by being polite and, you know, all cozy, but, you know, being a little too harsh on Twitter also gets people to write you off. So it's a a push and pull. I'm trying to get people to understand what's going on here. It's not normal, and it should not be normalized. Okay, well, just blink twice if you need us to help you. And Barnes, it's been a while since you've been on the show. You are in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was in, uh, I was outside Reno, Nevada a couple weeks ago, and on stage I said Nevada, and the crowd corrected me very clearly. Uh, how, how's life been for you since we last saw you? Yeah, they've been telling me that forever. I, I don't know why they want their state to sound like a, a, a lamb, you know, Nevada. <laughs> I mean, I, I do not get it, you know, but it is what it is. Uh, but uh, a little bit hot here, uh, but otherwise, uh, 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 otherwise okay and tolerable. Good, good. All right. Well, you guys are great legal minds. Your show, by the way, on Rumble has absolutely bl- been blowing up. Your live streams are getting great numbers. So I'm psyched to have you both on. And it's a good week for it because we're going to do a bunch of uh, legal stuff, I think is the technical term. Uh, we've got some Elon versus Mark Zuckerberg on this new Twitter clone threads that has come out. And there's a legal battle around that right now. Of course, one of the big things that happened this week, there were a couple things Supreme Court-wise last week, uh, but then this week a court order has now blocked the administration's censorship of us, the people, related to big tech. And then they found some cocaine in the White House. There was a noted guy who does cocaine in the White House last week, the president's son, but somehow they're telling us they're not going to be able to figure it out. Uh, We're going to talk about all that and more. Let me talk to you guys about Moink Box quick and then we'll get to it. Uh, You guys know that 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese and their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you find it in your grocery aisle every day. Well, there's a better way and you know what it is. It's Moink, Moo plus Oink. 
Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon fillets and much more. Plus, you can cancel any time. There's nothing better than cooking a little filet mignon on my big green egg on a Friday night. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted, and they guarantee you'll say, oink, oink, I'm just so happy I got moinked. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Ruben right now. And listeners of this show get free ground beef for a year. That's one of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. And now back to me. All right, guys, let's dive right into it. Uh, The big story of the week is that Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook slash Meta, uh, he has launched Threads, which is a Twitter clone. This is a direct assault on Elon Musk. Uh, Apparently there's a whole bunch of people that are not happy that Elon Musk has turned Twitter into a free speech zone that freaks people out. In comes Threads, and here's a little uh, video report on that. It's the battle of the billionaires. After Elon Musk recently challenged Mark Zuckerberg to a potential cage match, and Zuckerberg agreed, the two have yet to physically face off. But the source of their dispute, Zuckerberg's company Meta, is now entering the ring to take on Twitter. I kind of, I enjoy being doubted. Announcing the launch of a direct competitor, Threads. The app, which appears to emphasize public conversations, much like Twitter, already showing up in Apple's App Store for users to download on Thursday. Photo previews suggest users will be able to log in using their Instagram account. Meta is the biggest social media company in the world. They can take this to their users, their existing user base, and leverage that. The number of users on Instagram worldwide, 2 billion, compared to some 300 million on Twitter. And Buzz is building on social media. This is what it's going to look like. It's really cool because you can actually log in with your Instagram username. Threads is launching amidst an earthquake at Twitter. Since Elon Musk bought the platform last year, he's changed the verification process, charging $8 for blue check marks, overhauled the layout that determines what tweets users see, and just days ago imposed limits on how many tweets users can read per day. Musk, for his part, is not modulating his controversial takes. I'll say what I want to say, and if, 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 uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. I love how the mainstream media frames everything. Somehow Elon Musk, because he's been defending free speech and making a better product at Twitter, which I think you can truly objectively say, somehow he is framed as the bad guy here. Uh, Barnes, I want to start with you on this. Uh, This concept that we somehow need another Twitter and that people are knowingly going to a place where they will be censored. I mean, really, that seems to be what's going on here. Elon said, hey, we're gonna open this thing up. More conversation is better. And then people are going to the guy, Zuckerberg, and the company, Facebook Meta, that has been doing more censoring than maybe even Google over the last, say, three, four years. Well, I mean, I think it reflects two things. One, Facebook's badly struggling. I mean, Facebook is one of the few big tech companies out there that's been losing subscribers and members now, uh, actually has net negative growth in many aspects. Meta itself didn't really take off in terms of that whole meta universe. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems a bit like a desperate move by Zuckerberg to get back into the game, to get relevant, to get pertinent. Uh, as he sees Musk gain in success with the way he took over Twitter politically, even though financially he's still uh, you know, working to turn that around. But uh, uh, you're right. The other aspect is clearly his market target 
is the blue the original blue checkmark crowd that loved right. the censored gated controlled Twitter and he want, and they want to recreate that. The question is is there much popular interest in that and I have serious doubts about that. Well, it's interesting because on the numbers side, I, I just got the numbers while we were playing the clip. They already, in, in basically three days of launch, uh, it's the fastest growing app ever on the App Store. Is that what you told me? To hit 50. Fastest ever to hit 50 million users. They now have 70 million users. So whether we think it's nonsense or not or useful or not, it, it is taken off here. Uh, but Viva, before we get to the legal part of it, this idea that people sort of want to be censored, I, I, I still can't get over this concept. Dave, I mean, if this is the next step in the full uh, flipping of the parties. The liberal left Democrats, once upon a time, you know, they were pro-choice in terms of vaccines for the bodies. They were reluctant to trust big pharma. They were reluctant mm -hmm. to trust big, big government. And now they are literally, you know, the old expression, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. They're literally picking the devil they know <laughs> over the devil they know. And, and right. I, look, I, I'm inclined to like Elon Musk more because I think he stands for principles. But they are literally going to the guy who admitted on Joe Rogan, they met with the CIA, they censored the Hunter Biden laptop story, and they want to go there to stick it to Elon Musk. It's, it is a full govern me harder daddy approach, and this is just the latest iteration of it. Actually, to prove your point, I, I had a tweet that went viral that I think sums it up nicely. Uh, we'll throw that up. I can't imagine the type of person who not only wants another Twitter, but wants Mark Zuckerberg to bring it to them. Uh, Barnes, to your point on that original blue check type of person, the celebrity who got the blue check and they like their gated kind of thing and all that, um, it seems like the entire machine, he's got the whole machine going over there. So whether, whether we like it or not, again, or whether it's needed or not, the machine itself, all the good press, I mean, I looked yesterday, they're getting crazy good press everywhere while we know about the press that Elon has gotten with Twitter uh, for the last you know six, eight months. The problem he's probably going to face is the more success he has, the better the chances of Musk's lawsuit against him succeed, because it does look like they use the same thing that uh, ChatGPT is currently facing in the OpenAI suit that uh, Viva and I talked about on Sunday, where they did a lot of web scraping to build it. It looks like that's what happened in Twitter. They used some web scraping. They used some old Twitter employees who probably brought some proprietary intel and information over to them. And I guess Zuckerberg's willing to take the legal risk. It's not like he hasn't done that in the past mm -hmm. uh, in order to build his business or enterprise. But I think the downside for him is the greater benefit he gains, the better the uh, Elon Musk suit looks like, and that he Musk ends up getting the ultimate profits even if Threads is successful. So to your point, I want to throw up a, a tweet from Elon Musk on what's going on here with uh, some of the potential stealing of data, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Elon wrote, competition is fine, cheating is not. This is in regards to former Twitter employees who may have taken secrets and if they had signed non-disclosure agreements, et cetera, et cetera. So Viva, the, the legal battle is going to fight here. But do you agree with Robert that Zuck might just be willing to take the hit on that because he believes this thing's gonna blow up either way. Um, I, I am not optimistic for the success of threads and despite their initial numbers, I mean, I think it is probably easy to sort of fabricate or falsify those numbers by promoting threads to its already existing user base of two or three billion. So those numbers I think might be wildly inflated, but as a product, I wanna go over to threads, which is gonna be like Mastodon on steroids so I can see the Taylor Lorenzes of the world <laughs> and all of these other legacy blue check marks 
who don't think the regular people should have access to the blue check mark, who complain about everything about free speech so they can go over to their silo. Good, go. I won't be joining it. I don't think people who have meaningful opinions will be joining it. It'll turn into whatever echo chamber it turns into. But I'm skeptical of those initial numbers. Uh, and I'm also highly um, suspicious of how they actually got this up so quickly to replicate Twitter's format. It does look like they were up to some no good chicanery as set out in that letter of demand, which is now also circulating on the internet. And by the way, I saw right before we went live that apparently if you delete your Threads account, it will automatically delete your Instagram account. So that's one way that they are locking people into the system. But I got one more on this for you guys, just sort of philosophically to, to your point, uh, Viva. Like we already have a political divide in the country. I guess what I'm worried about here is if Threads really takes off, you're gonna have a, a set of people millions and millions of people who knowingly are entering a censorious world who will get that censorious information, whatever that might be. And then you'll have the rest of us, right? So the three of us, the people that watch our show, and let's say our world is at least a little less censorious and hopefully closer to the truth. That's not a political divide anymore. That's a truth divide. And I see no way to, to arbitrage those situations. Robert, do you, do you think that even matters anymore? Like maybe the ship has sailed on that? Well, I think the people who like threads are the people who grew up in safe spaces and want safe spaces to exist on social media as well. They should have called they, it safe space, right? Yeah, exactly. They'll have been honest, at least honest. I mean, threads is your classic Zuckerberg generic. I don't know what that means language. It was like that he created <laughs> meta. It's like, well, what in the world? Maybe beta, uh, you know, beta would have been more accurate. But the we'll see how it all translates in the end. Uh, I mean, I agree that. The other risk he's facing here is antitrust violations, because by tying in Instagram, using his near monopoly and that aspect of social media on Instagram to have to use another product is exactly what led to all the currently pending antitrust lawsuits against Google and, and other companies. So it looks to me like what he's doing is he's not only stole a lot of IP from Twitter through ex-employees and maybe some data scrape, dated mining and, and web scraping, but also it looks like he's violating the antitrust laws. And he, he's just like Bill Gates. He's the Bill Gates of big tech. He can't help himself but engage in illegal activity to get his profitability. Right, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Isn't that exactly what happened to Bill Gates with Windows, you know, circa 1994 or something like that? Uh, Viva, final thought on just sort of the divide that we will continue to go down. Uh, it's not going, we're already there. So the fact that they want their safe spaces, it's no different than blocking on Twitter so they can have their echo chamber silos, which they do effectively anyhow. But the idea that they're gonna like create something that's gonna beat Twitter acknowledges Twitter's massive success in the first place. So it doesn't matter that that uh, Zuckerberg has access to two or three billion people. It's the essence and zeitgeist of what Twitter is. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it, it will not succeed because even if it does, it's going to succeed at being a mastodon. It's going to succeed at a bunch of hall monitors, uh, policing thought, shunning anybody who dares disagree with them. And they'll have their big, beautiful echo chamber. It's not much different than CNN being broadcast in airports, those who need to know, those who want to know, and those who have an open mind will go into the open area of competitive thought. And those who want to hear Keith Oberman rave about how everyone's, you know, <laughs> scared of the vax, go to, go, go to Facebook where you know they're censoring you. And, and by the way, Zuckerberg had a, a thread, I guess they're calling it, not a tweet, a thread yesterday where he was saying, you know, this is going to be the nice place online. And it's like, that sounds nice, I suppose. But once you say that, what you are saying is we will censor all of the people who are not considered nice 
And by the way, NICE is gonna be even thinner than the, the boxes we're in right now. But let, let's move to the other big legal thing of the week, because I know you guys have been hitting this. Uh, this is about the uh, judge who is stopping the Biden administration from censoring us. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, got some info from the Daily Wire. A federal judge issued an injunction on Tuesday that bans numerous top Biden administration officials and agencies from communicating and meeting with social media companies. The lawsuit filed by Missouri and Louisiana accused the Biden administration of pushing social media companies to censor content related to the coronavirus pandemic. The state said in the lawsuit that the Biden administration's actions were the most egregious violations of the First Amendment in the history of the United States. The judge, a Trump nominee, did allow for some exceptions for Biden officials to have contact with social media companies, including informing them of posts involving criminal activity or criminal conspiracies, national security threats, extortion or other threats, and crimes related to the U.S. elections. Um, Barnes, this strikes me as extremely good. This is way overdue. And I would imagine that there's got to be a whole bunch of other lawsuits that people could bring if their First Amendment rights were, were hit by the government during coronavirus. Uh, yes, and in fact, many have brought, uh, have joined this suit. So Missouri and Louisiana filed the suit initially in Louisiana. Federal District Court Judge Doty, who's made some really good rulings in the vaccine mandate context and the mask mandate context, uh, one of uh, Trump's better appointees at the district court level. So he'd, he'd pro already shown promise, and here he waits to publish this to July 4th. So credit to him for that, too, <laughs> to, to have a case that is truly revolutionary and resounds in the principles and precepts of America's revolution, uh, because this has been happening for a while. Also, I'll give a shout out to Robert Kennedy Jr. He, mm -hmm. along with the Yale professor, brought this theory several years ago before it was fashionable or a lot of people were paying attention to it. Case still pending somehow before the Ninth Circuit. They could never get around to ruling on it. But he would challenge Facebook on the grounds this was collusion. They were acting as an agent of the state. Now we now know that all of his allegations were true and then some. I mean, they're still obsessed with Bobby Kennedy uh, in the White House. There's a New York Times hit piece out on him mm -hmm. today. Um, so the, the but this goes to collusion that there has always been a limitation on the ability of the state to use the either the carrot or the stick to get private enterprise to do what they want goes back to a U.S. Supreme Court case called Bantam Books. So some people in the left were saying, oh, you have to prove that the state did it directly. No, you don't. You just have to prove that the state is without the state. It wouldn't have happened. And here there was tons of evidence that that was the case. This judge, this is the case where Anthony Fauci had to get deposed. So great ruling by the judge. He established a great evidentiary record, which will be very hard to overturn on appeal by the Biden administration. And he may came up with the right remedy. He was like, you guys can't be trusted at all. So I'm going to say you can't communicate, period, to social media unless it's within these constricted circumstances because you've proven to be unreliable when you're allowed to do it. So it's a, it's a great ruling. It's something that we've been talking about, you've been talking about, Dave, for many years. And it's good to see the federal courts finally enforce our First Amendment freedoms when the the effective digital public square was being manipulated and controlled for gatekeeping purposes by our government. One of the things that's so amazing to me about this is how brazen the administration was the entire time. They were not hiding it. I'm sure you guys have played the clip, and we, we probably played it on my show 20 times, of Jen Psaki saying, we, as White House press secretary, we flag posts for Facebook. So she didn't outright say we forced them to take it down, but as I always say, it's the mafia move. We call them up and we say, 
yeah, this is an awfully nice social media company you got here. We wouldn't want anything to happen to that. Viva. So it's like they haven't been hiding it. So I suppose that does help us in this case, right? More, you know, people see it at least. They've been admitting it from the from the beginning. And, and people are like, well, no, they're, they're not coercing. They're not, uh, you know, colluding. They say things like that. Jen Psaki admits it from the from the podium. And it's nothing more than gangsters. A nice shop here. It'd be a shame if something happens to it. First thing first, I mean, people should appreciate this is a ruling on a preliminary injunction. So it's not on the merits. It'll be in effect uh, until there's a here a judgment on the mm-hmm. merits. And the people freaking out about it haven't read the bloody order. Like the order, all that it says is that they you shall not- You just posted it, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just posted it. It says, all that it says is they shall not, uh, let's just say, discuss whatever for the purposes of urging censorship. And they qualify each and every order with that. And then they carve out if there's a you know security risk or whatever, they can communicate. The whole point is they should never have been communicating, period. The wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is a problematic account here is not something the government should ever be discussing with big tech or with private companies. We now know from the Twitter files, which everyone seems to have magically forgotten, the Election Integrity Partnership or the the EIP, they admitted what was going on. They were doing indirectly what the government could not do directly. This judge got it on the preliminary basis. We'll see Mm -hmm. what happens. As more evidence comes out, it's not going to make it look less bad for the government. It is what it is. Everybody has seen the evidence who's been paying attention to the Twitter files and the blue checkmark legacy media who want to flee to Facebook so they don't have to face reality refuse to even acknowledge the wording of the order, which is quite rational, albeit potentially a little bit difficult to enforce. Yes, what you just said there totally links it to the previous story. I don't think these things are disconnected, that this decision comes down and then within days, threads magically goes up because it's suddenly like, oh, if the government can't do anything, Zuckerberg, you better do our dirty work for us. And you just won't, you won't talk to the government. Oh, but of course, Z- he, Z- yeah. Zuckerberg wouldn't do that. I mean, he only admitted on Rogan to, you know, basically censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story. Go trust right. the devil you already know is the devil, people. You're crazy. Robert, you know, uh, one of the things that always comes up about this is when people go, you know, my account was banned because I said vaccine mandates were coming or I said vaccines don't work or I questioned election integrity or whatever. If your rights are, if your First Amendment right, your ability to speak is actually infringed on by the government because they forced a social media company to do something. uh, One of the things that I think people are very confused about is you really don't have much recourse, right? You can maybe get them to write a letter, but they're not going to pay you out. They're not going to do anything. And and I think that that's part, it's part that people don't understand it. And it's part like, it just kind of sucks, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think there does need to be more call for federal legislative change in this arena. Senator Josh Hawley has done some good work. There's legislation that's on hold in Florida and Texas that was passed that would provide some more remedies. Like in Texas, for example, you would get your attorney's fees if you Mm -hmm. were wrongfully denied your access to your account. That would substantially deter them from this kind of activity. Uh, We need those. Both of those cases are sitting up before the Supreme Court in the next Supreme Court term as to its constitutionality. I think it's completely constitutional, but we'll see how it works. But this decision is completely, as as Viva notes, uh, on good grounds because the evidence was so overwhelming that this was not social media doing it on its own. This was them doing it in collusion with, by the coercion of, by the inducement of the government on a constant, continuous basis from some of the scarier agencies that are out there. I mean, as Viva noted, that's what Zuckerberg admitted, who was the original source of suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the Central Intelligence Agency. And, And by the way, as Zuckerberg told Rogan, They didn't even have to say much to him. They basically said a few weeks before the Hunter Biden story, this is basically his words, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much his words were, they came, they said, something's coming, you might want to keep an eye on it. And then he just went ahead 
and did all the dirty work. Uh, I want to show you a clip, though, of how the, the mainstream media, the corporate press, the clown car of insanity is covering this because they're not happy that the government's not going to be able to censor the average person anymore. Uh, this is a, apparently a legal analyst, <laughs> incredible, a legal analyst named Eli Honig on CNN. Listen to this. Yes, this is a Trump appointed judge, but this judge was confirmed 98 to zero by the Senate. Just reading the words in this injunction, a quote, massive effort by the defendants to suppress speech based on content. Those are the judge's words calling the present case, quote, arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in the United States history, Ellie. Yeah. It's a dramatic uh, decision by this judge. If you read through it, he's citing to literature and George Washington and Ben Franklin. Here's what really is astonishing to me. This is a conservative ideology that clearly comes through in this decision. It's a conservative political ideology, right? We saw some of the quotes questioning vaccines, questioning masks, conservative talking points. But the ruling itself is the opposite of judicial conservatism. This is one of the most aggressive, far-reaching rulings you'll ever see. What this judge is purporting to do is to micromanage, really, the day-to-day -day interactions between essentially the entire executive branch, all these agencies that are listed as defendants, and the leading social media companies. And in the actual temporary injunction, the judge basically says, you're not allowed, administration, to talk to these social media companies about any protected free speech except for cybersecurity threats, national security threats, criminal threats. But where's the line? Who's going to police this? This is a judge trying to micromanage the day-to-day -day regular activities of the entire executive branch. I don't know that it's actually policeable. Guys, I know that they put out pure drivel on cable news all day long, but almost everything he said there was completely the reverse of the truth. Uh, first off, he finds it astonishing that the judge would defend free speech. That seems like sort of odd to me, but okay. Uh, questioning things is somehow a conservative point of view. I mean, I guess that's true these days. Uh, and then this idea that they're micromanaging it's the reverse of micromanaging. He's saying don't talk to each other. Micromanaging would be exactly what they were doing. Viva, say that better uh, than I said it. Uh, well, I'm going to say one thing before I forget the thought. What he said at the end was not an opinion. It was the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is how you get around the order. Right. Instead, yes. of, instead of saying censorship, just say, hey, there's a national security risk there. Oh, hey, look at that Hunter Biden laptop hack. There's a national security. Hunter had some uh, codes on his computer. That was the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's the, the, the playbook as to how you circumvent this uh, court order. Just make everything you talk to them about, about national security, online crime, whatever. What he said, however, is the biggest load of partisan rubbish you can possibly imagine. Questioning vaccines and questioning mandates. Uh -huh. So it's, it's unquestionable now. It's, it's of judicial notice, efficacy of the, of the jab and, and, and efficacy of the mask. These are not conservative talking points. What he said are the liberal mastodon to be thread talking points. And it's a wonderful place. He doesn't get pushed back at all. And he won't get pushed back on CNN or elsewhere. But it, it's rubbish. But he was giving advice at the end. This is how the government should go about it now. Just claim it's all security. Robert, that, that concept that Viva's talking about, this how do you get around the law once these judicial decisions come in, it's the second time we saw that this week because, you know, after the affirmative action case, the president or the president-elect of Harvard did a video, we played it on my show, where she basically said they made this decision and, you know, you'll have to write your essays a little bit differently, but we'll figure it out. What do you do in that case? If, if you're a lawyer or a judge and you know because I, I agree with you, Viva, they're, they're trying to show people, here's how you circumvent the law. What, what do you do about that? 
Well, there's a major risk because take the in the affirmative action example, the Supreme Court specifically said, by the way, you cannot use admissions essays as a way around this, right. um, which people didn't know actually made the University of California system, which has been using that mechanism to get around its prohibition on affirmative action. Affirmative action is so unpopular, it failed in 2020 in California by 14 points. I mean, that gives you an idea for how unpopular. <laughs> right, in Cali, in Cali. In California, California. Yeah. 40% of black voters opposed it. Majority of Mexican-American voters. It was the groups that are supposedly benefiting from it. Many of them voted opposed to it. In fact, those, it was mostly uh, you know, upper-income, west-side L.A., white liberals that were rushing to vote for it. And, and I think the problem here is, so problem one is the courts have specifically identified don't do this, like this court has also done. And if you violate it, you run the risk of contempt as an individual. So if you're a person that's doing this, you're at risk of civil or even criminal contempt proceedings. And this judge has shown a willingness to go there. So I think that, like, so far the Biden administration's internal response has been to say we're not going to communicate at all. At least that's what HHS and others said until we get resolution from a higher court uh, on the issue. So they might run the risk of creating a direct judicial executive branch confrontation, but they definitely do run that risk. Look at Harvard. After Harvard got yipping. Some smart, more blue-collar-oriented Democrats of what's left there in Massachusetts proposed <laughs> legislation to tax Harvard's endowment to help fund apprenticeship programs, training programs, and mm -hmm. community colleges. And I was like, nobody deserves to get taxed. I'm not a big tax fan, but nobody deserves to get taxed more than Harvard's endowment, and they especially deserve it after they decided they were going to flout the U.S. Supreme Court. Let me ask you guys one other thing on this before we get to the, the next topic. We don't have to make it about that specific guy on CNN, but when you see lawyers on television or that you know, do the online thing, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I have a basic understanding of the First Amendment, of the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. Like when you see guys that are doing this for a living, that are just so in stark contrast, uh, just directly assaulting the truth, it must make you want to pull your hair out, which for you, obviously, Viva, would be a real situation. <laughs> Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're paid influencers. I mean, I, I don't know if they get paid directly or not, but it's, it's the scratch the back, what is it, pat you on the back, scratch each other's back system. Mm -hmm. It's no different than like the Harry J. Sissons or the, the Krasensteins of Twitter putting out tweets, which if they're not paid directly, there is indirect recognition, remuneration, yeah. compensation. All these, these guys go on, they give their 30 second bits to misinform millions and millions of people. There's not even enough time on that segment uh, for people to truly understand how dumb and how, how, factually incorrect what the person said is, but this is how people get their news. This is the biggest problem, and I think it's actually what has been remedied somewhat with the longer format content on Rumble, Locals, Twitter. People are realizing the degree to which they are being lied to by the so-called experts, and they don't trust anybody as much anymore as they once upon a time did, but people get their news from this. I mean, anybody getting their news from this is going to be wildly ill-informed. But for you guys running your show on Rumble, which, as I said, is absolutely blowing up right now, I mean, people are getting more insightful legal analysis. And I, I guess, Barnes, that you're probably OK with that. So you don't mind when these people go on CNN and spout this nonsense. Well, kind of what inspired me. I mean, I used to not be a public figure at all. I was just doing my little shtick in my little criminal tax defense world. And it was agitation at all the bad legal advice being given during the Trump era that led mm -hmm. me to become a public figure. Because you're right. I mean, these are people miseducating the public on a regular basis about the law. Can you imagine saying, you know, he quoted B -B 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 Ben F -F -F Franklin? 
Okay, you're scared of Ben Franklin? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. pitiful these people are. Yeah. Uh, and it also reflects what I call the aristocracy of ancestry. Affirmative action combined with legacy admissions in our colleges and law schools has not just bred people that are committed to the woke religion, but has bred some of the most incompetent professionals we've ever had in the history of American government. State Department, CIA, the legal profession as a profession, our universities, our academy. They're filled with people who are not only dangerous in their ideology, but incredibly just flat out stupid. And I often say, I don't mind dumb people. And I don't mind criminals, but you put them together and you got a problem. Oh, you've given me a hell of a segue because I'm about to show you a clip from MSNBC. <laughs> Here is Andrea Mitchell, our final topic. They found some cocaine at the White House and the machine is going out of its way to make sure we will never know who that cokehead is. And turning to some breaking news, we have just learned that a formal lab has confirmed the suspicion that that white powdery substance found in the West Wing on Sunday was in fact positive for cocaine. The discovery led to a brief evacuation of the White House Sunday night. Joining us now is NBC White House correspondent Mike Memoli. So Mike, where do things stand now? This is so unusual. You and I have covered the White House for years. I can't even fathom anything like this having been found before in the West Wing, and I go back to the 70s at the White House. So this is pretty, pretty wild. It's absolutely extraordinary, Andrea. And this new conclusive test confirms what had been the preliminary field test conducted by D.C. fire personnel who were called in on Sunday night after the discovery of this suspicious substance by a uniformed officer in the Secret Service uh, that was conducting a routine patrol of the White House. And so uh, to recap on the developments from that we've been reporting on yesterday, this was found, we understand, in a highly trafficked common area of the West Wing. It's an area where individuals, especially visitors, individuals who may be coming for, for instance, a private tour, might have been asked to leave some of their personal belongings before heading into uh, more sensitive areas of the West Wing, which of course includes the president's, the vice president's office, some of the most senior officials' uh, offices, as well as the press team and the, a number of deputies. <laughs> <laughs> We'll never know. We'll never know who was doing cocaine at the White House. Hunter Biden was just there uh, two or three days before. We've got a little video of Hunter. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, my goodness. I probably smoke more Parmesan cheese than anyone... The guy's smoking Parmesan cheese. I mean, guys, just like joking aside for a second, the way the media is running around telling us we are never going to know within days. Somehow January 6th, they can facially ID everybody. Now they're telling us that in a highly trafficked common area in the White House, they found cocaine. Apparently they found a bag, by the way. It wasn't just like cocaine, like on the desk. Fingerprints all the people that have to be ID'd to go in. Barnes, it's just so bizarre. I mean, I don't even know what to say. Well, I think that was the Babylon Bee meme, which had uh, a picture of uh, you know the bag with it says "Property of Hunter Biden" on the front, and the <laughs> headline is "We uh, they they can't figure out who's cocaine it is." So the I mean that's it, it's I mean anybody who saw the balcony scene, anybody yeah. that's been around somebody that's done cocaine, I mean it's obvious that, that that that's what Hunter's doing. I mean he's even signaling it, like he goes to the part of the that's right. been video broadcast to the world, and he's like. 
You know, doing that. You know, I mean, he's telling the world. I've always thought that he secretly wanted to out himself and his father. Like it's this desperate effort. I mean, who leaves their laptop at the computer shop, right? What daughter leaves their diary that exposes their father at a local at any sort of drug rehab facility? It's the sign of a couple of kids desperate for somebody to see that their father is a is a tyrant and a and a and a horrible human being. That it's a it's almost like constant cries for help. And here, the the great, I mean, the other story that came out this same weekend was that Biden had instructed people to not refer to his seventh granddaughter. He doesn't have a seventh granddaughter. Unbelievable. The court says he has a seventh granddaughter. But, he, I mean, that's the kind of insanity that we're at. It's not only the emperor is naked, the emperor is naked and high with a bunch of coke on his face and pretending the world is fine. So let me do my conspiracy version of this, Viva. Tell me what you think of this. I think they clearly know it's Hunter, or at least at the very least, they know who it is. But let's go on the assumption for a second it's Hunter. And they want you to know that they will not release the info. Meaning like they want you, they want the media to immediately say, we'll never figure it out because they want you to know they have Democrat privilege and they can get away with any effing thing imaginable. Dave, it's, it's the- Oh, I got a ding on that one. How about that? It's the persuasion. Just plant that plant to see that they know is so uh, uh, incredible that no one will believe it. But I got to say, this, if you go back and watch that video, look at Jill Biden's face. It's almost like she says, darling or honey to Joe and look over my shoulder. Something is going on behind me that shouldn't be. She doesn't look happy. And it, it, it's wild. But let's let. Yeah, here we go. Let's look, look, look at this. this thing again. Darling, look over my shoulder. Look at that. Tell me that she didn't just say, so, darling, and look over what's going on behind me. I know something's going on. Uh, that, that's my body language reading. You know, Robert gets pissed off at bad legal advice on the internet. I get pissed off at being lied to and being treated like an idiot. And that is exactly what has been, I, I've discovered has been going on for a long time. They're lying to us. They're treating us like idiots. And now they're telling us we might never know who the cocaine belonged to. It's amazing what they can't find when they don't want to look for it. They don't know who Scaffolding Man is. They couldn't find a crime to charge Ray Epps for. They don't know who the client list of, of, of uh, Epstein was. Uh, who else could they not? They don't know who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. But my goodness, they can find a grandma in Alaska when it comes to tracking down the January Sixers. It's preposterous. They're lying to you. We know they're lying to us. They know we know they're lying to us. It's that old communist phrase. And they do it anyhow because it's a flex of authority of the absolute power that they have. They can lie with impunity brazenly. And there's nothing anybody can do about it except hopefully speak truth to power, which is what we're doing right now. Yeah, it's that it's that beautiful Solzhenitsyn quote. But to your point, here's a tweet from Politico just two days after the thing. White House cocaine culprit unlikely to be found law enforcement official. So again, they're just throwing it right in your face. Oh, and here's what I, I retweeted it and I said, and I think I nailed this one. It was Hunter in the library with the crack <laughs> pipe. So there you go. Uh, Barnes, so we should just wrap this one up, right? Like we're not gonna find out who it was. We'll all just have our theories and it'll just be another one where they'll get that pat on the back and congratulations. Uh, or maybe uh, Jack Smith will bring an indictment and say it was all Donald Trump. He snuck yeah. in, he, uh, he, he planted the bag, it was all part of a private tour, and and uh, that will be the next uh, indictment on Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, Viva, you think that like they would no, be treating you, this the same way if it was Donald Trump Jr.? Let, let me spin it the other way. It does if, if they cannot discover, decipher whose it was, then security at the White House is a joke. They're incompetent buffoons who have no business running security, period. They either know who it is or they can't know who it is or don't know who it is, in which case they're idiots, period. But, by the way, it was the, the Dobbs leaker. They, they also don't know who leaked the Dobbs decision. They can't find these things. I wonder why. I know. It's, that one's just so incredible that the leaker just was never found. Just amazing. But w watch the way CNN covered this, the way they're joking about this. And again, just 
contrast that to imagine if Donald Trump Jr. was a crackhead and they found crack or coke or whatever at the White House when Trump was president. Take a look at this. They're learning that it is indeed cocaine. Now, again, this is part of an ongoing investigation. We're trying to get more from the Secret Service as, again, how this got into the White House and who brought it in. All of those questions still lingering, but at the very least, those lab tests are now in. John? An investigation being led by the Secret Service, uh, Priscilla, and we should know it. I mean, clearly they know everyone who goes into that building, it is a known quantity. That's right. I come in and out of this building on a regular basis, and you do have to pass, just like you would at the airport, through um, through security. And so the question now is going to be how this, how this came to be, uh, and Secret Service is the one who's going to be fielding those questions. All right. Uh, it is intriguing. Priscilla Alvarez, thank you so much for the latest on that. It was suspected. The field test said cocaine. Yeah. Now these more conclusive lab tests. Yeah. I would like to know blow by blow who was responsible for this. Exactly. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> there is no too soon. On no, this. too soon. No one was injured as far as thank we know. Don't. And it's an illicit drug at the White House. <laughs> Why can't you actually have a bit of fun with it? I don't believe in fun. No, he doesn't. Thank you so much. That is a CNN daytime anchor basically telling people to do cocaine if you want to have a little bit of fun. I mean, the carrying water here, Barnes, like, oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's absolutely to another level. And it's because they all know. I mean, the, the for those that don't know, the only people who don't get searched in going into the White House are, are family. So the that's why they know that this wasn't searched. Uh, mm -hmm. Secret Service won't fall on their sword for this. And so the net effect of it is that everybody knows it's Hunter's. And, of course, they know Hunter's habits and Hunter's history. And then there's you know, documentary visual evidence, effectively, by what we saw there. So everybody knows. And the question is, do they all have to hide? Do they all have to pretend? And it's really, it, it, like I said, they, they keep showing the naked emperor over and over and mm -hmm. over again. And rather than hiding him behind the curtain, they're just demanding everybody look and pretend he's not naked. Viva, one more conspiracy theory for you. It's actually not Hunter Biden's, it's Joe's, and they have him do a little bump so he appears slightly cogent when they send him out there. What do you think? Uh, it, the bottom line is it, it ultimately doesn't matter whose it actually is, but that they say they can't determine it, it's yeah. laughable on its face, and they're, they're treating people like they're idiots or that they have so much power they can lie to them and treat them like idiots, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but uh, we all have our strong suspicions. Uh, uh, just to compare and contrast, Everything, everything they have accused Trump and his family of having done or doing is exactly what Biden and his family have, in fact, done and continue to do. From the quid pro quo extortion of foreign interests to yep. the actual PP, you know, the, the, the strange hooker stuff. I haven't looked at Hunter's laptop uh, in its entirety. I'm, I'm scared to. Um, everything they've accused Trump and his family of doing is exactly what Biden and his family have been doing. And I agree with Barnes. These two kids, you know, Ashley Biden leaving her diary at a halfway house, Hunter Biden leaving, abandoning his computer at a, at a store. It's a cry for help or they have such deep hatred for their own father. They're trying to take him down. But, try, you know, Biden and his uh, his entourage won't let it happen. But that's that's a little Freudian um, Freudian analysis there. One, one addendum, uh, I don't think Zelensky was probably real happy to have his photo next to that story, given <laughs> his own particular interesting habits, shall we say. Well, but yeah, exactly. Zelensky's doing a lot of this, too. So it really does make you wonder. Hey, one thing, we got about a minute left. Uh, I, I wanted to mention, you know, Barnes and I happen to be on different sides of the Trump-DeSantis thing at the moment. And Viva, I think maybe you're somewhere in the middle, but you're also Canadian by birth, so you can't vote in this thing, as American as you are and Floridian by heart. 
Uh, but I, I said to Robert right before we started that like, you know, so much of it has become so vitriolic. And the fact that Robert and I can agree to disagree on some of this is maybe something that could be modeled. And at the end of the day, I certainly will vote for Trump if he's the nominee. And, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Robert, but I assume you would vote for DeSantis over Biden if he was the nominee. And maybe that's what we need a little more of these days. Yeah, I, I think I think both campaigns would be best well served. Trump's going to be Trump. That's his Trump style. But focus on positive policy proposals that either one can embrace down the road. Get some more. Same with Robert Kennedy. I want to see more policy proposals from RFK. Give us some details. Give us some meat that we can use no matter, that go beyond the individuality of the personality of the candidate, that can last past the next four years. Put some real legislative policy proposals out there so that, that, that can rally the populist base and rally conservatives and rally libertarians and rally independents, independent of which personality they like, mm -hmm. get some good policies we can all unite behind. Well said. Viva. I don't know that anyone's ever given a Canadian the last word, but I'm going to offer it to you. All that I can say is I'm glad I'm not a fence sitter on the DeSantis Trump. I'm indifferent because whichever one wins, uh, they're both good. I'd rather have DeSantis in Florida because I've invested the next yep. couple of years of my life there. I personally don't really think DeSantis could put up with the lawfare, the full weight of the deep state against him the way Trump is doing. I'm not sure anybody on earth could put up with what's going on other than Trump. I, I don't think I would be able to. Uh, so it's a win-win for me in a sense. Um, but the fighting has been very vitriolic. And I think as far as the influencers or as far as the social media types go, I don't think the rhetoric's going to get toned down. I'm just excited for the primaries to be over so the real political battle can begin. On that note, I want to send everybody over to Viva Barnes. Uh, it's vivabarneslaw.locals.com, correct? Correct. Yes, Indeed. got it. Okay. Got it, got it. And uh, you guys are blowing up on Rumble and everywhere else. It was an absolute pleasure, my friends. Have a great weekend. And I'm going to continue on for all of our local subscribers at rubenreport.locals.com in about 30 seconds. I'm just going to do a quick line, and then I'll see everybody on the other side. Okay, <laughs> ciao. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand. And it get hot. I got a lot of. I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight. And then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.